Good evening. Good to see you. Almost see you all. I think the lights were telling Pastor Vaco to hurry up a little bit. I don't know. I think that's what was going on. Give Pastor Vaco a hard time. Thank you, Pastor Vaco, for leading us through the Lord's Supper. You're very welcome. We can, we can do this all night, right? Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's all right. I want to just welcome some very special people I see here on the front row. Marge and Dave from the northern part of the United States. Was it Michigan? Is that right? South Dakota. South Dakota. Okay. All right. Welcome. So good to see you. I served a number of years in the upper prayer room with Marge and Dave. So good to see you and welcome this evening. And if you're joining us tonight, if you're not from Jerusalem, if you're not regularly part of our community, welcome to you. We're glad that you could be with us tonight. If you're joining us online tonight, I saw there was about 20 different countries joining us tonight online. Welcome to you. We're glad that you're able to be with us through the miracle of technology tonight. And thank you to our team, our camera team and production team that helps us to be able to do that week in and week out. So I just want to say, Pastor Chad will be back in two weeks. Say that. I'm going to say that again. Be more excited. Pastor Jack will be back in two weeks. <laughs> yes, you should be excited. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you why I'm excited. Because he has had time alone to be with the Lord, and I'm just excited to hear what the Lord has put into him during this time. So I'm excited for him to get back and for him to just begin to pour out what the Lord has put into him during this season. Amen? Amen. So we welcome you back, Pastor Chad. We look forward to seeing you and Rebecca and the kids very soon. Tonight we're going to continue on in a series that Pastor Mike kicked us off, we've been doing for a little while, called Living Wisdom. And if you've been with us, We've been talking out of the book of, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs and, and looking at the wisdom that's presented in the book of Proverbs um, and, and how we can take that and, and look how we can apply it in our daily lives. So I'm going to have the topic tonight. We're going to look at what Proverbs has to say about self-control. Anyone excited? All right, good. All right. Okay, so we have a few people there. <laughs> Vivian, you're excited. Thank you. Thank you for that. If my mom were here, she would cheer. So anyway, we are excited to, to just learn what the Lord has for us in this topic tonight. It's an interesting topic, and a lot can be said about it, but I'm going to try and keep it to the point. So let me start with this before we get to the text. What is self-control? Let me give you the wonderful definition dictionary, dictionary definition that Google gave me. It says this. Definition of self-control. The ability to control oneself, in particular one's emotions and desires, or the expression of them in one's behavior, especially in difficult situations. Let me read that one more time. The ability to control oneself, in particular one's emotions and desires, or the expression of them in one's behavior, especially in difficult situations. I actually like that little tag there, especially in difficult situations, as if there it's much harder <laughs> to do this in difficult situations, correct? Right. Because when we're in difficult situations, we feel under pressure. Self-control becomes more difficult when we're under stressful situations. So how many of you would agree that stressful and pressure situations actually bring out undesirable characteristics in us? Has that ever happened to anyone here tonight? <laughs> we'll pray for your lying problem later. Anyway, no, just kidding. Yeah, no, I understand. No, it, it does. Pressure pulls out of us sometimes characteristics that are not the best characteristics or not godly. Let's say not godly characteristics. Let's say that. It can, can tend to do that. So we can all have times of stress where 
uh, I had to explain this the other day. We were talking with somebody. It gives us a shorter fuse. You know, on a stick of dynamite, when you shorten the fuse, it goes off quicker. And stress has an ability to, to reduce that moment, that transitional time from being able to be self-controlled to not be self-controlled. We can also, in pressure situations, feel overwhelmed and fatigued. Now, I want to tell you a story. Because I can be a bit serious when, I, when I'm preaching. So I want to tell you a story. We'll lighten the mood a little bit. There was this elderly couple, no offense, sorry, I'm elderly. Um, there, was, there was this elderly couple named Bill and Helen. And Bill and Helen used to go every year to the county fair. So the county fair, if you're from America, you know what this is. Maybe it's in Europe as well. You would have these fair with games and rides, and they have like a midway games and cheesy games and these rides. And, and they would have different contest for maybe pie making. And, you know, if they, if they do uh, cattle and livestock, maybe they have the best cow or something like this. So this couple would go every year to the, to the county fair. And one year, a man at the fair showed up and he had a helicopter and he was giving helicopter rides. And it was $50 for a helicopter ride. And, and Bill, who had never been in a helicopter in his life, he, he really, really wanted to do this. And he begged his wife, Helen, to take him on, a, to go on a ride with him. She looked at him and she said, but Bill, 50 bucks is 50 bucks. And for those that you don't know, bucks is American slang for dollars. 50 bucks is 50 bucks. So then they leave. And then the following year, the man with the helicopter, he's there again. And Bill sees him and he goes to his wife and he says, Helen, please, come on, I bet, come on, go for a ride with me. Go for a ride with me. And she says, Bill, but Bill, 50 bucks is 50 bucks. So then another year passes and they come back and on the third year, the same conversation happens. Bill and Helen are having this conversation. But this time, the pilot of the helicopter overhears the conversation. He says, hey, uh, if, I'll, give you, I'll offer you guys a free ride under one condition. And this was the condition, that you can't make a sound while we're in the air or you'll have to pay the $50. So Bill looks at his wife, Helen, come on, come on, please, let's go. So Helen, okay. She gets, so they get in the helicopter and they take off and the helicopter pilot just starts to do his best air, crazy aerobatics to try and make these people go nuts. But they don't say a word and he, he does his best and he's flying around and it's crazy. And then he lands and he turns back and he looks at Bill and he says, that was an amazing show of self-control. I guess you've earned your, your free ride and Bill said, well, I nearly said something when Helen fell out, but 50 bucks is 50 bucks. That's bad. 50 bucks is 50 bucks. Now, you're probably not going to remember anything else tonight, but 50 bucks is 50 bucks, right? Okay, that's all right. Hopefully, I'll be able to inspire something more in you. All right. So, we have, I think we've all experienced a situation where we've had a lack of self-control. I think we've either in ourselves or we've experienced with someone else. A child, if, if those of you that have children, yes, I know you, have, you, don't, you don't have to ask the question. You've experienced this. When a child, or maybe even an adult, loses their temper and has a temper tantrum, okay? We've all, we've all had these moments where we've seen this. Or, as I like to say, this is one of my personal favorites, and I won't call any names tonight, but drivers on the highway that think they're in a Formula One race and they have to win, I'm like, just show a little bit of self-control. Slow down a little bit. That's for me. Now, Solomon, who was the primary author of the book of Proverbs, I found this interesting. As I was looking at this topic, 
I was just considering, where does all this come from? And, and Solomon observed many things in the world around him. And he, he received instruction from him. And in fact, he says it many times, both in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. He said, I observed the world around me. He'll, he'll say this statement. And he says it specifically in Proverbs chapter 24. He says this, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 32. Guys, I'm going this one a little bit early, so it's a little bit later in the notes. Um, Proverbs 24, 32. I saw and I took it to heart. I looked and I received instruction. I saw and I took it to heart. I looked and I received instruction. He was paying attention to the world around him and he was receiving instruction. You know, I, I say I can learn something from any person because I can always learn how not to do something. So we can learn, we can learn from the world around us. We can always be learning. And, and Solomon was, was very observant. And he says there in this Proverbs, I saw and I took to heart, I looked and I received instruction. I paid attention and I saw things. And he saw many people over his lifetime. He observed their situations. He even judged his king. He judged their grievances. And this gave him, because think about it as a king where you'd, almost if you were like a judge and you'd see case after case after case after case, day after day of people coming before you and you'd see them in their best or you'd see them in their worst. You'd get a really interesting perspective on things, wouldn't you, over time? So he, he had this, and he observed actions and he observed consequences of those actions. And I believe this is one of the primary motivations that, that moved Solomon to really seek the Lord for wisdom. Listen to this. I want you to run or jump to 1 Kings chapter 3. First Kings chapter three, verse seven. And, and Solomon had gone out to Gibeah and he, he was there sacrificing for the Lord because the temple wasn't set up. And, and he has this moment where he prays to the Lord. And he says this in verse seven, Lord, my God, you have now made your servant king in my father David's place. Yet I am a youth, I'm just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people you have chosen, a people too numerous to be numbered or counted. So listen to this. So give your servant an obedient heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Give me a heart that's discerning, that sees, that can see through the surface and see to the heart of the matter and that can discern between what's good and what's evil. And then jumping down to verse 10, the Lord was pleased. It says, now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you have requested this and did not ask for a long life or riches for yourself, sounds like a genie, or the death of your enemies, but you asked for discernment for yourself to understand justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that, there has, so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. And this motivation, because Solomon has been so observant, he says, man, there's so much here. <laughs> How am I gonna manage this? How am I gonna discern these situations where you see people like this? God, I need your help. And God honors him for that heart and he gives him a wise and understanding heart. 
So a lot of the wisdom that we see in Proverbs, if we really look at it, are not Solomon's musings on, oh, this is what I think, but they're actually his observations of what he saw and what he saw in life and consequences. And that's really kind of leads us into our passage tonight. So I want you to turn with me. Our passage, our text tonight is Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. And it says this, a man who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. And again, I believe this comes from not, I really think this might happen. I, I think this is observation. He saw, he saw how people acted and he saw consequence and he's trying to convey wisdom to us in, in what he's seen and what he understands so let me read it again. A man who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. So in this proverb, we're presented with a man who does not control his temper. Now I want to note something. I want you to please understand because this is very important. Please note that it does not say he lacks the ability to control his temper. It's not that he doesn't have the ability. He has chosen not to control his, temp his temper. He says he is like a city whose wall is broken down. So what, what does he mean? What does that mean? He's like a city whose wall is broken down. Here's my take on it. What does a city, what did a city wall do? Pro I heard somebody say it. Protection. It offered defense. It offered protection. It kept things out, well, it kept hopefully bad things out and good things in, right? And he says, a man who does not control, again, not the person that, that lacks, but the person that chooses, that does not, is like a wall, city wall who's broken down. It's, it's broken down. It means he is undefensible. Nothing can defend him. There is no excuse for the action. There's no excuse for the exertion of his anger to its full force. So it's basically like when you see somebody do something and they just go overboard and you go, sorry, you're on your own with this one. I'm not step, I'm, I can't help you because that was all you. He's, he's, there's no excuse, there's no defense for what's happened. It's not defensible. It's unjustifiable. Who will defend a person who is unduly angry? Proverbs 29, a little bit further down. Proverbs 29, verse 11. He says it again, but in a little bit different way. He said, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man holds it in check. Again, a fool chooses, let it go. There's a song in there somewhere. Let it go, right? There's a song. Um, but a wise man holds it in check. So what do we learn here? Here's, here's, a, here's a very interesting thing that we learn about self-control right here from this extension. There's a defined limit for the wise man and where he lets his emotion or his anger go. There's a point where he knows I stop. And here's where I stop. And I don't go beyond it when he stops. He doesn't allow it to run freely beyond any limit. So let me bring us to the key point that I believe is 
in our text tonight, both, both actually in Proverbs 25, 28, in, in verse, chapter 29, 11. And it's this. Self-control is a conscious decision to be submitted to informed boundary or limit. Self-control is a conscious decision to be submitted to an informed boundary or limit. The wise man knows where that limit is and when he comes, he feels it coming, he stops. He knows that's the place I have. I, I need to take a, breath, a breath. <laughs> Do you understand? The person that doesn't, that makes the decision, I'm just gonna let it go, will be undefensible. He will reap the consequence. And this is what Solomon is trying to help us see and understand. There's a decision that is made when we exercise self-control. We either submit to informed boundaries or we disregard them. We either submit to informed boundaries and limits or we disregard them. Let me give you an example. It just came to my mind. If, if I were to take, and this is theoretical, so don't, <laughs> I've never done this, and, uh, but this is just a theoretical. If I were to take a small child, let's say a two-year-old, and I, they've never seen a flame, never seen a fire, never seen a candle, never seen a picture, and I've never said anything to them about what it is. And I put them in a room and I put a candle in front of them. They would look at it and their curiosity would be piqued. And what do you think they're going to do? The finger's going to go. Now, when they reach out and touch that candle, that is not a lack of self-control. That is isn't. Ignorance. They don't know what, they, ha they have no, nothing to inform them of a limit. But when they touch it and it burns them, now experience has informed them, ah, maybe I shouldn't do that. If they stick their finger in it again, that's a lack of self-control. Do you see the difference? So there's a point where we have, there has to be something that informs us as to where the limit is for us to be able to, to exercise self-control. The man example in Proverbs 25 is not ignorant of the consequences of his anger. He made a choice. That's the point. That's why I said it's very important that you see. He didn't lack. He chose. It's a, self, it's a conscious decision to be submitted to an informed boundary or limit. It, it does not allow us to surrender to our emotions and our desires. Self-control sets limits to our emotions. And some of our emotions can be fear, sadness, anger, surprise, excitement, guilt, shame, disgust. And self-control says, okay, there's limits here. And I have to know where those are. And that's where I stop. Self-control sets limits to our desires, the things that we want. So, again, I really want to eat that whole birthday cake, but... <laughs> I have to exercise self-control. I have to stop. I have to have a limit, and I have to have an informed limit. If I'm honest with myself about times when I've had a lack of self-control, it's because I've had too much self and not enough control. Y'all with me? When I've, when I've experienced a lack of control in my life, it's usually because I've had too much self and not enough control. I submitted, 
I would have submitted to things that were in me. And this is the interesting part. When I lose self-control, usually it's because I've submitted to the things that are in me, not something externally. Now, we can be submitted to something externally, but usually when we lose control, it's, it's like that rage. That I, I, there's something in me that's coming out. And Paul talks about this in Romans. And we'll read it a little later in, in Romans chapter 7. When we, when we lack self-control, oftentimes it's because we're not getting what we want. I, I, we say that phrase, I heard that from another pastor and we say that with our kids. You know what the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. <laughs> and, and that's why I'm overreacting. There's, a, there's something in me that I'm allowing to overtake and I'm not practicing self-control. So because of what's in us, we can make poor choices that harm ourselves and others. And again, we'll look at that from Paul in Romans chapter seven in a little while. So let me just take a step to the side from it. What's the difference between self-control and self-discipline? This one caught me because I was like, well, what is the difference between self-control and self-discipline? Let me give you a, a simple answer that made sense to me. Self-discipline is related to persistence. And here's the key word, doing things to make yourself better. Doing things. Self-control is related to restraint. It refers to the mind's ability to govern its own actions. So one is actively doing something, the other one is actively restraining. So to put it more simply, self-discipline equals good habits. Self-control equals good choices. See the difference? So I want to just take a moment and say, what, what informs us in self-control? What are the things, again, I'll go back to the definition. I gave you self-control is a conscious decision to be submitted to an informed boundary of limits. So what is the thing that informs us? Because it has to be informed by something. We have to know where the limits are and how to apply them correctly. So there was a quote I saw in a resource I was looking at. It said, uh, self-control is hard to achieve without direction. And I thought, yeah, that, that's pretty obvious. We need to know there has to be something that informs where the limits are. And the things that can inform us, I'll give you just three. This is not an exhaustive list, but I'll give you three. The warnings and instruction from people that we trust, like family and friends. Hey, you should probably not go that far. That's probably not good for you. You should probably stop. And I say family and friends are people that you trust because Usually when people that we don't trust say something to us, it goes through one ear and right out the other. And we shouldn't always be that way, but that's normally how we are. But they can inform us. Those we trust, those that we let love us can inform us. Personal experiences like the, the child with the candle. Our personal experiences, both good, both positive and negative, can inform us about boundaries. Ah, oh, I don't want to do that again. Or... Actually, when I did that, that was really good. So I should 
stop that and, and do this. So, so both positive and negatives can inform us. And then finally, and this is the most important, and I'm gonna put these together, the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And it's really, really important that we see those two things together. The word of God and the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna talk more about that in a second, but I, I found it, I was looking at different things and I found it really, really interesting I was seeing article, a few articles after one another where people were saying something like this. They were saying, we, what we need in our world is to have a moral consensus. We just need to all be good people. And usually at the end of the article, this is, this is no joke what it would say, it would say, and we can have this without a God. And my question is, okay, then what is informing your morality, what is setting the limit for you? Because one thing that I know about us as human beings, and I'll speak for myself, one of the things I know about us as human beings is we like to move the boundaries. We, we like to move the boundaries to our preference. Have you ever played a game with children? Oh no, that rule doesn't apply there, dad. No, 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 that's no. Okay, now for you it applies, okay? Have you ever had that happen when we play games? I, I, I was thinking to myself, what if, what if professional, in professional soccer, for those of that are soccer fans, because I know we have a mixed audience, in professional soccer, what if the coaches and the players had the ability to change the size of the goal? So eh, we're not having a good game. Can we make our goal about a half meter wider? because it would really help us a lot, right? would be like, what? But the fact is, just, just in that example, the, the players and the coaches and the teams have to be submitted to the authority of the commission that sets the rules that says, and just in case you want to know, that a professional soccer goal has to be 2.4 meters tall, 2.44 meters tall by 7.32 meters wide. And it can't be, the field actually can be a little bit different in size, but the goal cannot change. And they have to say, okay, we submit to that authority, we'll play under that rule. And if they didn't, it would be chaos. Because they would just, oh, can we make ours bigger? Make theirs smaller because they're playing really good. And it just wouldn't work. But somehow humanity thinks, yeah, we can get rid of anything that's above us that gives us the definition or the direction or the limit because we don't need that because we can just make it up for ourselves. This will really work. I'm sorry, but it won't. When we lack self-control in our lives, it will produce trouble in our lives, it will. A man who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. Trouble will come because there is no defense. Without self-control, we can allow other things to become a controlling factor in our thoughts and our actions. Even addictions. Because addictions are truly looking to other things as to help us cope or to fill a gap or to fill something in our lives. It's not about the thing. A person who doesn't take drugs, the person who takes drugs doesn't need drugs. They need it to cope with something else. And they're trying to deal with another issue. 
You understand? And when we have no self-control, these are the kinds of things that can assume control of our lives. Now, I know all of you are asking this question, can you have too much self-control? Everybody's asking that question, right? Can you have too much self-control? Actually, yes. But actually, it's not what you think. You can have too much self. Because <laughs> you would think, well, wait a minute, isn't self-control, you're telling us it's good for us. How can it be bad for us? But, but I'm going to read to you another proverb that's related. Actually, it's, it's just before the proverb we read, but there's a related one in Proverbs 25, 16. It says, if you find honey, eat only what you need. Otherwise, you'll get sick from it and vomit. And what's the point of this proverb? Too much of a good thing becomes a bad thing. It can become a bad thing. So how would we end up with too much self-control? It can happen because a person is not submitted to something other than themselves. Again, too much self. It becomes someone is not submitted to something other than themselves. People who exhibit an excessive amount of self-control can come off as perfectionists or overbearing. Some characteristics can be this. I'm not, don't hit anybody or point at anybody tonight. Just, just listen. They have difficulty relaxing. They remain distant towards others. They can have a rigid personality. They can become overly focused on details. They have a lack of feelings or dis or a display of feelings. They are responsible even to a fault. They avoid risk. So it's possible for us to, to have even too much of something like this to where we actually just only close into ourselves. So how do we maintain a balance? And this is the encouraging part of the message. You ready? <laughs> this is the encouraging part of the message. How do we balance this? We realize that we are not alone. That's how we balance this. We realize that we are not alone. Because the word self in self-control presents sometimes a, a disillusionment or a misunderstanding. Because we can believe that this is something that we have to do alone. Because, well, it's self. I have to, to do this by myself, right? But actually, the word self, realize is, the word self is about what is being controlled rather than the thing that is informing it. Self-control is not something we must do on our own. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit to inform us. Now, I'm gonna say this because this is something that's just been stirring in my heart. I, I sometimes feel like there's a little bit of confusion with people um, that they look at the Holy Spirit as a bonus to salvation. You remember those TV commercials? If you buy now, you'll get an extra. Hey, it's a bonus. You'll get a bonus. And, and I, I feel like people feel like, well, I'm saved. And, and oh, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is this bonus. But I want you to understand something. That was never God's intention. Salvation, the work of the Messiah, the work of Yeshua on the cross and his resurrection from the grave was the vehicle for us to have the Spirit of God in us. That was always God's intention. It was never a, hey, okay, we'll get you saved. And hey, here is a bonus. It was his intention to be with us, to dwell with us, to dwell in us. And we have him with us. And I, I feel like sometimes we, it's like we have the most powerful tool 
in our toolbox and we set it over there and say, eh, I'm not going to use that right now. I don't need it. And it's in us. He lives in us. Galatians 5.22. We've been doing this with our kids. I've started doing this with the youth on, on our meetings on Thursdays. I'm sure most of you know this passage. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So self-control by Paul here is listed as a characteristic, a fruit. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit, this fruit that is produced as the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And we see this fruit of self-control being produced in us when we submit to the direction of God, when we submit to His boundaries, His guidelines, just like the, the football team. They say, okay, we'll play by those rules. When we submit to God and say, okay, God, I'm going to play by your instruction, by your rules, and I'll submit my life to that, these things be, begin to produce in us as we grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness. We also grow in self-control. But we have to decide. Remember, self-control is a decision, a conscious decision, we have to decide to submit ourselves to the direction and the leading of God through the Holy Spirit. That's our part. And, you know, people will say, well, how does this work? Well, do I just kind of just stand there and the Holy Spirit takes over? No, it's a decision to say, I'll listen to you. I'll be obedient to you. I mentioned this verse earlier in Romans chapter 7. Listen to Paul. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do. But I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. So there's something in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it on my own, in myself. I can't do this by myself. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin that it lives in me. It's, it's in me that I'm allowing to take control, to, to be in control. So I discovered this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this dying body? I thank God through Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am a slave to the law or the instruction of God, but with my flesh to the law of sin. So he's saying, with my mind, I make a decision. All this stuff that's in me that wants to come out, it's there and it fights and it wants to come out. But in my mind, I make a decision to be submitted to the instruction of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. I'm self-controlled. God said that, Yeshua said that. 
that one of the purposes of him sending the Spirit was that he would remind us, he would bring things to our memory. He would remind us of his words. He would remind us of his instruction. Now, do you remember the prayer of Solomon for wisdom? So give your servant an obedient heart to discern between good and evil. God, help me to have an obedient heart, one that would submit to your authority, to your guidelines, to your instruction, to your rules in my life. So I want to close with this. So how do we exercise self-control in our lives? If I'm honest with you, I felt like this has been the weakest point in my life with my walk with the Lord. I, I started a few years back. I had a mentor that encouraged me to do a self-evaluation of just where I was in, in, in my walk and my faith and different things. And, and I would always come back to, I just, I don't feel like I have, I feel like I let the Lord down. You ever had that feeling in self-control? And I would feel like, well, maybe I just need to try harder. I need to work harder. And I, and I realized this. And this is the first point of how we can exercise self-control. We need to surrender our thoughts and actions to the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to be the source that informs our self-control. I don't have to be the one that figures it out. I don't have to be the one that determines where the limit is. I can just say, God, I submit to you. And if I'm not sure, Holy Spirit, help me to know where that limit is. Help me to discern. We need to allow him, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, to work in us and to renew our minds. Philippians chapter four, verse six says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in the Yeshua Messiah. Isn't that a precious promise? If we would just submit our needs and our prayers and positions and, and, and come before him with humility, the peace of God, which removes that pressure, that pressure that would cause us to have a short fuse, that peace of God can, can overcome us and cause us to go, okay. What a precious promise that the peace of God which surpasses every thought will guard our hearts and our minds. It will transform our thinking. The second point of how we can develop this and, and live it and exercise it in our life is we need to pray for the Holy Spirit's help when we are struggling. I was traveling recently. I was reading a book and something in the book just really didn't sit right. And I was, I was almost feeling frustrated about it. And I remember I was, we were at a conference and there was an outside area. I was sitting down and I just put the book down and I said, Holy Spirit, if this is something that's in me that I'm feeling, if, if, if the feeling that I have is something that's in me that's not right, show that to me. But if there's something in me that's, that's really sensing you that something's not right in these words, help me to understand it. 
And I think we can have that kind of prayer in every situation. When you're facing a situation where you're about to, if you, if you have anger, situa- ang- anger issues and you're about to pause, give a breath. Holy Spirit, help me to see. Help me to see the situation through your eyes. Give me your peace. This is not an invitation. Hear me. This is not an invitation to have a discussion with the Holy Spirit about your point of view on the situation. This is not, Holy Spirit, let me tell you what I think and you tell me if you agree or disagree. Because that's back to too much self and less control. This is, Holy Spirit, help me to see things the way you see things. Help me to see the situation the way you see it. Ephesians chapter one, verse 16. Worship team, you guys can start coming. I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the Lord our God, Yeshua the Messiah, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the perception of your mind would be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to his vast strength. And here Paul is really praying for revelation in two areas. Number one, that these believers would become aware of the hope of God's calling and the riches of his inheritance, that they would look beyond this moment. <laughs> they would look beyond the here and now and they would see into the future and they would see. This is, I believe, what gave Yeshua the strength on the cross because Yeshua didn't be on the, he wasn't on the cross looking at the moment saying how painful this is. He was on the cross looking at the future of how many people are gonna come to the Father. Give us eyes to look beyond this moment and help us to see, Lord, your future plans for us those plans that give us direction. Number two, he's asking for a revelation that would help them understand that the limits set by God are founded in his great love for us. God's limits are for our own good. We don't have to be afraid about submitting to them. And we see that in his love for us. And finally, the third thing we can do. When we have taken back things into our own hands, when we have tried to do this on our own, and we just keep going, oh, I can't, I can't try harder, and we fail, we need to confess, and we need to surrender to the Lord again and say, Lord, I, I've been trying to do this by myself, and I can't, and I surrender to you, Lord. I surrender to your direction in my life. I surrender to your instruction in my life. First John chapter one, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, another very wonderful, beautiful promise that all we have to do is say, God, I tried and I, I can't do it and I need you. So I hope tonight this has encouraged you. We're not alone. Self-control is not something we have to figure out and do on our own. And, and, and we have the Spirit of God in us that can help us, that can teach us. But we have to be submitted to Him 
to the Lord and his authority in our lives. And he'll, he'll work his fruit in us as we allow him to work and to move in our lives. And guess what? We get to be participants in his kingdom on this earth. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Let me pray for you tonight. I'm going to ask Pastor Mike to come. Father, we thank you that we are not alone. Lord, we thank you that you provide as a good and loving father. Lord, you provide not only the things that we need, you, you provide the instruction, Lord. You provide the encouragement, Lord. You, you make a way to even cover our failings and to bring us back to a place of restoration and fellowship with you. Now, Father, I pray that you would give us a spirit, as Paul prayed, a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Enlighten our minds and our hearts so that we may understand the hope that we have in you, Lord. Help us to trust you and to submit ourselves to your instructions, for we know that your ways are all good, Lord. Holy Spirit, work in our lives. Reveal in our lives and through our life and relationships and through the world around us, help us to see your vision. Help us to see things the way that you see things. And help us to continue to produce fruit for the glory of your kingdom, we pray. Amen.